Morning, church. So I remember a few years ago was doing a survival challenge with some friends, and we had four teams. We had the lead team who was in charge of uh, this challenge, and then we had three other teams. And we were going out uh, camping at this canyon, and the lead team got to choose where their base camp would be. And as you enter the canyon, there's this nice grassy area. And it's nice, level, easy to get to, easy to get all the gear in. And so that's what they chose for their base camp. Now, the challenge was for the other three teams, for us to go and establish our own campsites and uh, to live off the land. Well, as we walked into the canyon, you know, there's water at the bottom. And um, I, I just can't even begin to describe to you how, how steep the side walls were. There was uh, just no place to, um, to set camp. I've got a picture. This isn't the canyon itself, uh, but it kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking at. Um, because the canyon we were at, well, I, I mean, the side walls, if you can imagine Mount Everest, they were even taller, um, much steeper, and, and a lot harder to climb. But the, the idea here is as we were going, we said, all right, there's just no good place for a campsite. And so we looked at the top and we said, that's where we're going to put camp. We're going to climb to the top. It'll be nice, level. We'll have a gorgeous view. What could go wrong? Now, none of us were experienced climbers. And so trying to climb these walls was just a challenge. I, it felt like hours and hours of excruciating um, climbing. And it is no joke. It, it is at least a small miracle, if not big, that none of us died doing this. When we got to the top, man, we just collapsed. We just were so exhausted. We collapsed and we eventually regained our composure and we made our campsite. Now in our excitement to get the high ground and to have the beautiful view, we, we kind of didn't think through this, that if it was so hard to get up there, we have to go back down and we have to go and back to the lead team's base camp. And so we're like, man, there has got to be another way. There is no way we're going to be able to do this. We got ourselves in this, but what are we going to do to get out? And so as we're walking around exploring on the top, we found the most gorgeous, beautiful trail you have ever seen. It was a nice, gentle trail that just coincidentally went down the canyon and back to the base camp. We didn't go the way we came at all the rest of the trip. We used that trail over and over and over. Why? Because we had found a better way. This room is full of people that believe Jesus shows a better way. Jesus shows a better way. We've been looking at the book of Luke, and uh, we've been seeing how Jesus talked to the religious leaders, the Pharisees, how he challenges their hearts, that their hearts were set on themselves, that they loved money. Last week, 
We, we read about the story of the rich man and Lazarus, uh, about a man who wanted to be served and didn't, didn't serve others and even beyond the grave still wanted to be served. But there's a transition as we get into Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, we see a transition between the internal to what's coming external. We see Jesus in verse 1, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any of you who is a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. When we look at the beginning of what Jesus says, talking about temptations, temptations, the question is, well, what's Jesus talking about causing one of these little ones? Is he talking about children or is he talking about young believers? What's, What's he talking about? Yes. You, you, you think about this. The Father cannot stand for anyone to be led astray, for anyone to be led into sin. I mean, if we were at the park, imagine being at the park and seeing kids play on the playground, and then all of a sudden you see an adult coming around and tripping kids, pushing kids down, kicking kids, hitting kids, knocking them around. If you see that, we're going to come unglued, right? We're not going to stand for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, our kids, someone else's kids, it doesn't matter. If we saw that, we would intervene. Well, how much more? Because, I mean, let's be honest. There's times we're selfish. There's times we don't do what's best for others. There's times we think of ourselves. If we're selfish and we have that strong of a reaction for our kids or other people's kids, then how much more does the Heavenly Father, not be, can he not be able to stand to see anyone lead his kids astray? You see, temptations are, are sure to come. And you think, well, I'm not tripping kids. I'm not knocking kids around. But do you understand that if, if anyone can see you, then you're leading. Children learn more by what is caught than what is taught. That they are watching you. So if anyone is watching you, then you are leading. Are you leading them towards Jesus? Or are you tripping them up? Are you being a stumbling block? Are you being a rock? How are you being? What are you leading? How are you leading? 
you see, we can either be a rock with firm, immovable faith, a rock where our foundation is built on Christ, or we can be a stumbling block, like a raise in the sidewalk that trips everyone. That we are either leading people closer to Jesus or away. But temptations are definitely coming. Jesus says, make sure that you are not the one bringing the temptation. Now we think, well, hold on now. I've never tempted anybody. You see, there is a subtleness to temptation that makes it so challenging for us to see. There's a subtleness with temptation that we may not even realize it until it's too late. That we may all think the devil is dumb, but the devil is not a dumb devil. He doesn't say, hey, put this on your calendar. At 3 p.m. today, I am going to tempt you. So make sure you're prayed up and ready to go. At 4 p.m., I'm going to have you cut off in traffic and you'll be tempted to lose your temper. At 5 p.m., after your kid asks you why for the 70,000th time that day, you'll be ready to lose it. No, temptation comes from our evil desires, from desires within that are not God-honoring. Desires or our temptations are from Satan for our destruction. He doesn't show us. We don't see in temptation how what looks like a good way to go, all of the destructive consequences from that. He doesn't say, if you make this choice, you're going to ruin your family, your marriage, your, your home life, your children. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose everything. We don't see that in the moment. Temptation looks like a good way to go. But Jesus shows a better way. I'm convinced that the greatest temptation facing all of us, the greatest temptation facing the church today, it's not a temptation of what you see on, on TV. It, it's not politics. It's, it, it's, it's not uh, pro, using the right pronouns, abortions, cancel culture, none of that. I believe The biggest temptation facing us today is the very war that is going on in each and one of our hearts. Whether we will give full loyalty and devotion to King Jesus or if we're going to live with a divided heart. That is the biggest temptation facing us today. You see, the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they showed you can go to church, you can read the Bible, you can know the Bible, you can have it looking like you're all together but still not be right with God. The temptation to be a lukewarm Christian is very real. Each one of us has this battle of whether we're going to be all in or hold back just a little bit, of whether we're going to give him our whole heart or not. This temptation to to be a casual Christian, to be lukewarm, it is it's so real that I want to ask this question. Is following Jesus, is it, is it a duty for you or is it a delight? Is following Jesus, living for Jesus, trusting his better way, is it just an obligation? Is it something that you feel forced to do? Or does he have your heart? Do you want to know him? I mean, why are you here? Are you here today because you felt forced? You felt like you should come? Or did you want to come and be a part of his body, to worship him, to offer him your heart, to know him better? 
You see, I'm convinced God's not up in heaven just looking down and taking attendance on Sunday mornings. I'm convinced that's not all he's doing. That he's not up there, oh, Gerald made it today. Good job, Gerald. You're good for another seven days. I, I, I do not believe that at all. That, that it's how we live every day. Others are watching. We are leading. Are we tripping them up? People are going to trip on it. If we're lukewarm, if we're half in, if we have a divided heart, then we are, are robbing people. We're robbing people of the power in this Jesus community. I really mean that because if, if you're not all in, then guess what? On Sundays, you're just checking boxes. We're all wearing a mask. With a divided heart, we're not seeking his kingdom first. With a divided heart, we wear masks. We don't let people see everything. We're not open and vulnerable like we should be. That when the power of this Jesus community is that the mask can come crumbling down, can come falling down. We can take them off. We can be real. We can be vulnerable. Instead, whenever a Christian brother or sister asks us, how are you doing? What do we say? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Now, I know we can't go be vulnerable with everyone, but do you have someone that you are trusting as a Christian brother or sister to be vulnerable with? You see, we make the mask that hides our pain, that hides the struggle, because ultimately there's fear driving this, that if I take off the mask, you might not like what you see. That if I show you the parts that everyone sees, well, you, you can love that. But what about if I get real? What if I get raw and take off the mask? You see, I'm not sure how you'll respond. If you see the parts of me that I don't let any, anyone see, then will you still love me? Come on now. I know this is hitting someone. Let's be honest. We put this mask on. We withhold. We rob others around us. We rob ourselves of the power of accountability, of vulnerability, of confession. This is all part of following Jesus and trusting his better way. That I'll speak from a male's perspective because, well, that's the only perspective I've got. But, <laughs> but, but I know vulner being vulnerable is hard. If you're a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter. It is hard, and it is especially hard. The more pain... And the more hurt, especially if you've been vulnerable in the past and have been stabbed in the back. I know it is incredibly difficult. I don't stand up here pretending like it's nothing, but it comes back to trusting, does Jesus have a better way? When we think about it, I, I, I'm convinced that there's a guy in the room here that is struggling with jealousy. But yet nobody knows because he's wearing a mask. I'm convinced that someone in the house is struggling with lust, but nobody knows. He wouldn't dare tell anyone because he's afraid of how they'd respond. I know someone struggling with alcohol, but they don't want to say anything because others will look at them differently. And so they wear a mask. Shoot, I don't know, just know this because I've talked with people. I know this because I've lived this. I've sat there in the seat with no hope. I was talking with a brother of mine who, who, who was just real. He said, you know, Chad, sometimes when I'm driving, 
all I can think about is yanking the will to get out of this pain. I didn't stop loving my brother, man. I, I love him even more. You see, the struggles are what allow us to connect to Christ's power, that in our weakness, his power is made perfect. But if we're going to wear masks, then guess what? Everyone around us is going to wear a mask. Trusting Jesus has a better way, allows us to be vulnerable, calls us to be accountable. So what do you find yourself struggling with? What is it that your mind constantly wonders? What is it that, that you spend all of your resources, all of your free time, any extra money you get that you spend it on? Or maybe you've had this thought, if, if only I could get rid of this, you know, if only this would change, if I could be such a good Christian, if only... Fill in the blank. You see, our answers to those questions are what is competing for our loyalty to Christ. Our answers to those questions is what's getting in the way from us seeking the kingdom first, from us living and trusting Jesus. We sang it in the song just a few moments ago. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. We all need to say, Lord, take my heart and seal it. But you got to be willing to give it. Jesus talks about millstones. And when we read Jesus saying it's better for them to be thrown in the sea, what do we think? We think about someone else, don't we? We're thinking about someone else and Look at what Jesus' words in verse 3 are. We, we, I read right over this the first time I read it. Pay attention to who? Yourselves. We read right over it, don't we? Pay attention. We start thinking, oh, that person, well, he deserves it, man. I kind of hope it happens, right? Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt in that we want to do that rebuking. There, there, we have to be so careful with this that we've all been hurt by people that were close to us, people that were brothers or sisters, and that we need to be careful when we rebuke, that we don't do it out of the flesh, that we do it with the Holy Spirit lead. I, I, this is what's true for me. If I find myself hurt and wanting to go rebuke someone, I'm not ready to rebuke them. Yeah, I can let them know, but I won't help them grow. You see, rebuking is always done with the hopes and the aims to restore and reconcile. But rebuking is done in hopes that they repent that we rebuking is done to lead them closer to Jesus. Paul to the Galatian church in 6 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Oh, there's nothing the enemy wants more than have a two for one here that you go for the rebuke. Your brother sins and in the rebuke, you sin. 
You see, we, we have to make sure that we're allowing the spirit to lead us in that time, and it's not our flesh. Jesus was full of grace and truth, and so should the rebuke. That, that truth without grace is brutal, and grace without truth isn't helpful. If he repents, forgive him. We're still at the rebuke part, right? <laughs> the forgive him. That takes trust that Jesus has a better way. But Chad, if you, if you only knew what they've done, they don't even realize how bad they've hurt me. Or you're sitting there thinking, well, this says if they repent and they haven't repented, I, I can't forgive and I don't have to forgive. Well, do you, do you really believe Jesus shows a better way? Because there's more scriptures where Jesus teaches about forgiveness than just this one. Jesus never taught his followers how to hold on to bitterness. Jesus said, you've got to forgive from the heart. We are to forgive as Christ forgave us. What's the example we see from Christ? When he was on the cross, he was in excruciating pain. They had mocked, they had beaten him, they had nailed him to the cross. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They hadn't repented. They weren't asking for forgiveness. They didn't even know they were wrong. You see, that's our standard, that Jesus is a better way, that he shows us a better way. Only a forgiven person knows the power of forgiveness. And only a forgiving person will experience the healing power of forgiveness. You see, refusing to forgive someone, that's the flesh. That's not the spirit in our lives refusing to forgive. Jesus never teaches that anywhere. But forgiveness is primarily not for the brother who sins, but for the believer. Let's define forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is giving up my right to get even. My brother hurt me. Forgiving him is saying, I am not going to take revenge. It's giving up my right to retaliate. That's forgiveness. And we think, well, okay, that's hard enough. It gets worse. Jesus doubles down. When Jesus is cooking in the kitchen, it gets hot. We want to calm everything down. He says, and if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We want to make excuses. We want to look for loopholes. We want to look for ways out. Jesus removes all that. He removes the excuses. Because remember, it's not primarily for the believer it's, or for the brother. It's for us. It's for the believer, the one trusting the better way. Let's put it in, in context here. Let's imagine you're walking down the street and you see me carrying a stick. And I, I come up to you and I just go, whack! <laughs> Whoa. And I say, oh, man, I am so sorry. I don't know what come over with me, you know. <laughs> you know, there was like a mosquito, and <laughs> oh, it's all good, Chad. It's, you forgive me, okay? You don't get up and knock me out. Well, just a few minutes go by, and you see me carrying that stick, and I go, wham! <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry. I, I have no idea what it just it came over me, and you forgive me. All right, some of you are like, that's 
too many chances, right? <laughs> again and again, I whack you. I whack, I hit you. I, there's going to be a change. You might forgive me, but are you going to walk with me carrying a stick? No. All right. The same is true with forgiveness, guys. Just because there's forgiveness, you're giving up your right to retaliate doesn't mean that you just become a punching bag. It doesn't mean that there's no boundaries. It doesn't mean that there's no consequences. Forgiveness is giving up our right for revenge. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, forgiveness, trust that he has a better way. Now, when the apostles hear, hear this, look what they said. They said, Lord, increase our faith. I, I, that's my response, right? Seven times. They want the quick fix. Jesus doesn't just blow up their faith. Look at his response. The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Wow. Look at that. A grain of mustard seed. That's small. We talked about this back in Luke 13. It's so small. You can't tell, you know, I didn't bring one, but it, it, I could say I did. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's so small. That, that, uh, the mustard seed is so small, but yet it's got the more potential to grow bigger than anything. You see, we want to focus on, on our quality, the quantity of our faith, the size of our faith. That's not our focus. Our focus in faith is what? That mustard seed of faith. The focus is the quality of who we've put our faith in, of whom we've put our faith in. He is the perfect one. He is able to do immeasurably, infinitely more than all we can ask or imagine. Do you realize that this faith, that, that when you trusted the gospel, when you believed Jesus was died, uh, Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again, do you realize, Romans 1.16, that that gospel that you believe is the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes? It's not about us. It's about Christ. You see, that's the faith, mustard seed faith may be small, but the faith is in the perfect one who can do more. And so do you believe that he keeps his word? Do you believe that he keeps his promises? That when you put your faith, give your life to him, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, he doesn't give us his Holy Spirit just to leave us like we are. Why does he give us his Holy Spirit? To sanctify, to make us more like Jesus through and through. Read Philippians 1. I'm confident of this. I'm confident he didn't give you the Holy Spirit just so you could nurse a grudge, just so you could hold on to be bitter to bitterness and be miserable. I am confident that he has given you his Holy Spirit and that he is working on me, he is working on you, and he is going to keep working and keep working and keep working until it is completed. So the question now, if he's filling us, strengthening us, leading us, he can do anything. The question is not, can you forgive? The question is, will you forgive? 
He won't call us to do something that he wouldn't empower us to do. That's not a loving father. So are you going to trust that Jesus has a better way? There is nothing that the enemy wants more than for you to fight the wrong enemy, for you to fight and focus on the wrong battle. There is nothing that the enemy wants more than for you to focus on anything but him. That, what I mean by that is if, if you lose sight of what the battle, who the real enemy is, you focus on flesh and blood. Our battle, our war is not with flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's so much bigger than that. And when we lose sight of that and focus on the person or the hurt, then we've lost. He, the enemy is won. You see, fighting the wrong, wrong enemy, it's like, it's like treating a cough when you have cancer. It's, it's, help, it's, it's helpful, but it doesn't bring healing. It's so easy to grab the wrong weapons. We don't wage weapon as the war. We don't wage war with worldly weapons, no. It's different. You see, your enemy... Your enemy is, is not someone, your teacher, mocking you at school for your faith. Your enemy is not the politician on the other side. It's not the person on the other computer screen with social media. It's not your ex. It's not your relative who, who makes fun of you for even being here today. That is not your real enemy. Your real enemy is fighting for your soul, for your divided loyalty, and he will tempt to distract you any way he can. And when he does, and we focus on the wrong enemy, well, then he wins. So how will you respond? It's so easy to grab the wrong weapons, to grab hate and rage, ridicule and sarcasm. It's so easy to grab the weapons of this world. But when we do, we stop fighting the real enemy. Are you going to trust that Jesus has a better way? Jesus said to love our enemies, to pray for those who who persecute us, to bless and not curse, to respond to criticism with compassion, to insults with kindness, rage with gentleness. Does fighting this way sound soft to you? Does following Jesus sound weak? If that's what you're thinking, try it. These are not easy weapons to master. You see, we have a very real enemy, but we have an even greater friend. You see, following Jesus isn't just something you do. It's, it becomes who you are. It's your identity. It's your being. Verse seven, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. 
we read this and, and we think, wait, wait a second. I thought Jesus called us his friends and I thought he loved us. Well, he, he does. There's more than just the scripture, but understand at the end of the day, how do we repay God for what he's done for us? How can we repay God for, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins? We can't do it. There is nothing that can make it right. He made us. He's redeemed us. He's bought us. Jesus' blood, the high price we have been bought, we belong to him. That it is our duty to serve him. But it's more than that. You see, it comes back to, is it a duty or is it a delight? We can't repay him. But we know we must serve him. Not that we earn our salvation because of what we do. No, it's only by grace through faith and what Christ did on the cross. That he is Lord of all. We trust in him and we know nothing is impossible. So let me ask, where do you need to trust that he shows a better way? Where do you need to trust that he shows a better way? Is it, is it just following him out, out of duty or trusting there's delight in living for him? In seeking the kingdom first, or is it impossible for you to think that you could ever be happy following his better way? And so it's just become a checklist to you. It's just become a Sunday ritual. Or do you truly love him? Am I trusting Jesus enough? And am I trusting his better way to take off my mask? Are you, are you trusting him to be vulnerable, to be accountable, to give someone access that you trust to, to rebuke you when necessary, that you might become more like Christ? Am I trusting Jesus enough to forgive? Some of us, we've been holding on to the hurt and the pain. We've been fighting and focusing on the wrong enemy for way too long. Some of the world's worst prisons don't have bars. That he came to set us free. And if the, sun, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I am not standing here minimizing your pain, but I know what he can do more than I can think or imagine. He can set you free. Maybe you need to say, hey, am I trusting him with this mustard seed that God, I look at my faith and I try to dress it up. I try to make it look bigger than what it is. I, I try to act like I can do more than I really can, but God, I've got such small faith. Help me to trust. It's not me, it's you. Are you trusting him with your mustard seed? In just a moment, we're going to sing and we're gonna have people up here to pray with you. We're gonna have people in the back to pray. If you're in Heber, there'll be an area for prayer as well. Church. I don't have the words. I, I, I literally do not have the words. God 
alone can move the mountains. He can keep the roots of bitterness from growing in our hearts. He can purify. He can set us free. God alone moves the mountains and faith and prayer move God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. Lord, we ask for you to move. For you to move the mountains for your glory and yours alone. In Jesus' name and all who agree, say amen. Love you, church.